This morning I thought we'd start a uh, little kind of a mini-series just for a couple weeks on uh, getting focused, focused in life. And with the new year just around the corner, I thought what a better time to start something like that. Um, Who knows what the center, the very center of the Bible is? Psalm? No? Yeah, okay, good. Uh, you got it right down to the, the verse, uh, Psalm 118. It's, it's interesting. Um, and it's also interesting, the shortest chapter, the shortest psalm, I should say, because there are no chapters in psalms, there's psalms. The shortest psalm is 117, and the longest one is 119. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of an interesting thing there. There's 594 uh, kind of chapters before Psalm 18 and 594 chapters after Psalm 118, excuse me. And so people like to argue that, you know, maybe uh, Psalm 117 is actually the middle of the the chapter, but for our sake this morning, it's going to be Psalm 118, and that's what I believe it is. Um, So we're going to spend a couple weeks, a couple Sundays, just looking at Psalm 118, because I think it, it shows us what it means to be focused in life and focused on the important things. And with the new year just around the corner, I think it's important that we um, focus on things that are important, correct? All right? Like God's Word and God and, <clears throat> and things like that. We'll leave out the trivial. Um, but, you know, every Easter we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, he was crucified on Friday. He died late that afternoon. He was buried in Barl tomb. On the third day, the Bible tells us that uh, God gave life to his lifeless body, and he rose from the grave, triumphant over death. We're going to see a demonstration of that as Jesse comes and is baptized. And um, and at the end of the service, if someone can remind me, kind of like uh, when I'm praying, somebody run down and get the kids so they can come up and watch the baptism, whoever, because um, <clears throat> I'll forget. <laughs> but during those three days, from Friday to Sunday, incredible spiritual significant things happened. They occurred. Uh, and, and one of those things is the death of Christ, which paid for the price of our sins to those of us who've put our faith, our trust in him. Now, if you stop and you think about that, just that alone, stop and think of all the things that you've ever done wrong, all the sins that you've ever committed, all the things <clears throat> that deserve punishment and retribution. All those things have been paid for in full, literally by the blood of Christ, the Bible says. He bought your salvation, your freedom. And then on the morning of the resurrection, the process was completed when God raised him to newness of life, proving that there is nothing in the world that the power of God can't conquer. Nothing. And we're going to be looking at this verse a little later on, but in Romans chapter 8, I'll just read it for us right now out of my notes. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Good time for an amen. See, this is good news, okay? Because this is what we need. We all need it. None of us have just an easy life. Not a, not a one of us. None of us are able to live life in total victory without God's help. It's impossible. 
In fact, there's probably many here in this room this morning that are struggling with situations right now. Right now, present time. Right now as you sit there, you're struggling with situations that look like they're going to get the best of you. Maybe the bills are piling up or the doctor hasn't given you the good report or your spouse is threatening divorce or your kids are in rebellion or estranged or the economy is wreaking havoc with your job or your finances. Virtually everybody in this room is going through something right now. Let's just call it a mess. We're in a mess. Every one of us, some kind of mess. Trust me, I know how messes feel. I get in a mess almost every day. That's my wife. Some kind of mess seems to find me. Um, I know that sense of fear, that sense of kind of panic. It's just around the corner, that sense of dread or anger or someone who's hurt you. But I also know this. I know that you can experience God's presence and his peace in the middle of a mess. Isn't that good news? Right in the middle of your mess, God somehow makes his presence known and his peace known to you. Some of you, most of you have probably read that poem, If, by Kipling. And there's a couple twists on it. One says this, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, then maybe you don't really understand what's going on all around you. (laughs) Or I like this one better. If you can keep your head when when all about you are losing theirs, maybe it's because you are fully trusting in the nature of God, the goodness of God, the power of God, and you are focused... You are centered in his presence. It's it's a good feeling as a believer to know that you're right where God wants you to be. Have you ever been lost? Maybe as a little kid or maybe, you know, uh, now, men, we don't ever say that we're lost, you know, I mean, especially in the car. Um, I don't have one of those little things, but there's been occasions I've gotten lost. One time we were coming back from the desert and I made a wrong turn and I headed up I-15 and it was just, I was just too tired to turn around and go all the way back to 10. And I thought, ah, there's got to be a road over to I-5 somewhere. And there was, and it was long and it was windy and it was cold and it was dark. And I, virtually I thought I was lost. I, I hardly ever get lost, but I, I really thought I was lost. And my wife came up and said, do you know where we're going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the sunset was that way. That's all I know. My little car says I'm going west, so I, I, don't, I don't know what else to tell you. Sooner or later, we're going to get to I-5 or the ocean or something. Something's got to be out there. But nobody likes that feeling of kind of just uneasiness, of being lost. And it's good to know that when you can find yourself centered right where God wants you to be. And so it makes sense that the center chapter of the Bible would tell us how to be focused, how to be centered on God himself. So we're going to spend a couple weeks on this. But today I want us to look at the first thing that I see in Psalm 118, is that it's basically the theme that God is for you. And that sounds kind of trite. It sounds kind of, I don't know what. But you know what? That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ proves. That God desires to be for you. He doesn't want to be against you. He's for you. And when you begin to understand that simple truth in your life, when you begin to understand that God is, wants to be, if, he, if not he is already, on your side, 
it can really change your, your whole life. A lot of times, even Christians think that God is anything but for us. <laughs> you see it. You see it in the way they worship. You see it in the way they witness. You see it in, in the way they live their lives. They walk around like they just ate a, a, a carton of, of, of sour grapes. It's like, woe is me, I'm a Christian. You know, the gospel's good news, okay? We need to remind ourselves of that. And part of that good news is that God is for us. Now, let me say this before we even get into the text. He may not be for all your ideas, okay? Do you ever have an idea that wasn't God's idea and you try to do it anyway and it just kind of blows up in your face? Uh, He may not be for everything you're doing right now. Some of those things may be good things. See, somehow as Christians, we fall into this mode, especially around the beginning of the year, that the more we do for God, the more he will like us, the more he will bless us. So we just got to do more for him. And I've seen people in ministry, men in full-time ministry, burn themselves out and forsake their family, their kids, everything, for the sake of doing more for God. And it's really just wreaked havoc. And then they look back and they shake their angry fist at God, saying, hey, I did all this stuff. You know, and he's tapping him on the shoulders and maybe I didn't tell you to do all that stuff. Maybe you were doing all that stuff just because you wanted to look good in front of a bunch of people who were constantly patting on your back saying, oh, good job. Oh, boy, this guy's incredible. See, he cares about us. God cares about us. And he cares about us because he created us. He wants his best for us. Now, I'm not talking about Joel Olstein's best life now kind of, you know, craziness. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what the Bible says, that God really loves you. Not only does he love you, we can understand that God loves us, right? I mean, he gave his only son. But God likes us. Because you know what? I know that everybody in this room has people that they would say, you know what? I love that person, but I don't like that person. (laughs) Probably relatives. You know, you probably just came away from a Christmas celebration. There's some of those relatives, you know, do you love your relatives? Oh, sure, I love them. But, you know, I don't like being around them. God likes us. He loves us. He likes being around us. And I think that that's a good way to sum up the Christian message because most of the world out there doesn't believe that. They believe God is angry. He's up there shaking his fist trying to ruin our fun. But God loves us. He likes us. He really does. And it's not based on who we are. It's based on what Christ has done for us. Because he's for you. He, he wants his best for you. You're not on your own. God is there for you no matter what. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, My God will meet all your needs, all your needs, according to his glorious riches in Christ. That's an incredible verse. Psalm 118, basically, turn over there in your Bibles and... We'll just read the first couple of verses here. <clears throat> Psalm 118, beginning in verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is what? Good. His mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say His mercy endures forever. See, sometimes we've got to remind ourselves, God is good. God loves me. I'm in Christ. We've got to remind ourselves of that truth because the enemy's out there telling us anything but that. Let the house of Aaron now say his mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say his mercy endures forever.
forever. I called on the Lord in distress, and the Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. First thing I want you to get this morning is that you can count on God in times of trouble. You can count on God in times of trouble. Verse 5 says there, From my distress I called upon the Lord. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we get ourselves in a fix, we get ourselves in a situation, and it's because of our own stupidity, it's because of our own disobedience, it's because of something we've done that God told us not to do, and we find ourselves in a situation. That's when we need to cry out to God. But if you're anything like me, sometimes that's the time you feel least likely to cry out to God. You don't want to cry out to God. You want to try to clean things up. And then you'll be back into worshiping God. Somehow you want to make everything right, and then you can come to God and say, you know, hey, I was in a fix, but I got myself out, so now I can worship you. You know, we have this ability in our lives to be prideful. We all do. And that pride keeps us back from God in times of trouble because we don't want to cry out for help. We want to work everything out ourselves. We think we can fix it. But it's a good habit to get into, to cry out in your distress, to cry out upon God. I've actually heard people say on occasion, you know what, I don't want to bother God with all my problems. I want to go, are you kidding me? God lives for that kind of stuff. That's what he's there for. Trust me, he can handle your problems. The problem with us is, We think our problems are bigger than our God. See, we need to turn to our problems and say, let me introduce you to our big, my big God. Because you're nothing. He could take care of you in a second if he wanted to. We overestimate the power of our problems. We overestimate the the power of even sin in our lives at times. Don't get me wrong. It's a very important thing to... to, um, Not underestimate that. But sometimes we get so beaten down, even as believers, that we feel so unworthy. We have to stop and we have to remember, you know what, wait a minute. I'm a child of the king. God has paid the price for my sin if I know him through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that. He can handle your problems. Call upon him. He's waiting to hear from you. And then David says there in verse 5, The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. Have you ever been in a confined place? Have you ever been in a place that was just kind of confining? The other day we went down to, um, took the kids on the day before yesterday down to San Francisco. And there's, uh, there's no police officers in here, is there? There's, There's only five seats in our car. Well, there's three adults and, and three kids. So, obvious problem, right? You're going to take two cars or what? I was planning on taking two cars. And I came out and everybody was in the Impala. And there was a seat for me in the driver's seat. I said, okay, I'm not going to look. But if it works, let's go. You know, just keep your heads down. And they were sharing a seat belt or something. I don't know. 
But I look back, and they were in a confined place. All three grandkids and my daughter. They're just back there like this. Somehow Mason could still play his DS, and Sophia had her little laptop computer toy thing. She was playing with that. It was driving Crystal crazy the whole time. I remember when we got down there, we got to the parking garage. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? We got to the parking garage by Pier 39, and it's like, okay, we'll go in there. We get in there, and then, you, you know, you get the line, and you're waiting for somebody to pull out. And, and so, you know, there it is. The guy's getting in the car. You know, I'm thinking, oh, great, right here. This is great. You know, there's people behind me. I'm waving them by. Hey, I'm waiting for this one. You know, floor level, this is great. And uh, they all get in the car, these people, get everything in the trunk. They had kids and everything. And I'm waiting patiently or impatiently, as my wife would say, and I'm waiting for those, you know, those white, those green lights or whatever the color they are. I don't know. They look white to me. The reverse lights on the car to light up. Okay. And uh, they do. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is, this is going better than I thought, you know. And all of a sudden the brake lights come on. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. What's going on? You know, the little one's starting to cry a little bit in the back seat, And kids are getting antsy. Are we getting out? It's like, you know, the pressure's starting to build. Confined place, right? And so all of a sudden, the, the, you know, he puts it back in park. I'm thinking, okay, what's this guy doing? You know, and he gets out of the car, and he opens the trunk, and he goes through some diaper bag, and he's like, okay, he's got kids, maybe, you know, stinky diaper. I don't know what's going on in that car, but, you know, let's just move it. Get going. Out. I'm, that's my spot. I want you out of my spot. You know, you spent too much time here trying to get out. Now it's rightfully mine. And, you know, uh, he gets back in, reverse light, back in park. The guy gets back out the second time. And he goes behind, and I guess he was guiding the guy out. So at least they backed out. I mean, it took him like 10 minutes to get out of this spot. And, uh, you know, there was a guy kind of creeping up, and I was looking at this guy in the other car. I'm like, don't even think it, okay? I mean, don't even think of going in that space, and he didn't. But, you know, so we pulled in there, and the, as soon as I opened the doors, man, like, everybody's out of the car. It was like, ah, oh, relief. You know, it was a confined space. We don't like to be in confined spaces. And that's what this means. It means a place of abundance. It means a place of prosperity, a place of opportunity. Right in the middle of your mess, your world seems small. It seems like everything is closing in around you. It feels like your problems are overwhelming you. It feels like everything is just right in your face. You have numbered days and your, your options are limited and you don't know what you're going to do. Well, God wants to take you out of that confined, uncomfortable, nervous place, and he wants to put you in a large place. He wants to put you in a place of possibility, a place of opportunity. But it's in the middle of that mess that you're in that you call on him, and he will answer. You don't want to just sit there in your mess, so I'll just figure it out for myself. We want to ask him for help. And then we want to look for his help because it's on the way. So many times we'll ask God for help and then we just continue doing what we are doing. We don't wait for him to help us. We just continue on doing whatever. I'm that way sometimes. You know, I'll be doing something. Somebody say, well, can I help you do this? Yeah, 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 you can help. <laughs> but I just keep doing it. <laughs> and pretty soon the task is done and they just stand there kind of like, well, that was rude. <laughs> You know, but I'm, you, know, you get focused on something and, you know, it's, it's, it takes longer to stop and, you know, get somebody's help than it does just to finish the test. That's how we are with God sometimes. And when life turns on you, when, 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 the, when the tables turn, as it often does, the natural reaction is one of fear. That's just natural. That's how we respond. 
Fear of how you survive the situation. Fear of what your friends may think. Fear of what your enemies are going to do. They're going to laugh. They're going to mock you. Fear of, of what will happen next. When we're faced with situations like that, that gripping fear just comes into our soul and it just captivates us. And it's only natural to respond that way. That's how God created us. But we have to remind ourselves that we're not to have emphasis on that fear. We're supposed to put our emphasis on the goodness of God. That he cares for us, that he's for us. We don't have to be afraid when those times come. David said in verse 6, The Lord is for me, I will not fear. What can man do to me? I mean, stop and think about it. What, what can they do? As a believer, oh, you know, okay, well, they can kill you. All right, well, you go to be with the Lord. I mean, what can really happen in this life that's so bad? Especially when you step back and you realize God's in control of everything anyway. But that fear of what will happen next, will you be criticized, will you be laughed at, will you be ridiculed, will you be fired, will you be broke, will you be single? What, what's going on? We don't know, but God does. And the truth is, is when you look at the worst case scenario, in situations. That only happens occasionally in life. Every situation, I've never met anybody that whenever I've talked to them, they've been in a situation, the worst case scenario always happens to them constantly. I've never talked to anybody like that. I mean, sometimes when I'm in a situation where, you know, I feel that fear coming in, maybe a situation that I'm faced with or whatever, I stop and, I, and I, I mentally, I go through the exercise. Okay, worst case scenario, what could happen in this situation? I do this for anything. I do this. I did this when I got on the plane in Jacksonville to pick my grandkids up. I did this when I got on the plane in San Jose to fly back to Jacksonville. Worst case scenario, the plane crashes, I die, okay. Game over, I'm with the Lord. I'm not going to worry about it. What is it to worry about? And that's what God is telling us in his word. Back to Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, Paul here is convinced that nothing can separate us from our relationship with the Lord when it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins there with his list in Romans. He begins it with death. He says, for I'm convinced that neither death... I mean, a lot of times we don't put death as number one thing in our life, do we? Death happens at the end. Well, Paul puts it right out in front. He says, don't worry about this. In our earthly life, death is last. It's the last event you will ever face on this earth is death. Even the supreme enemy of death can't separate us from our Lord when we have a relationship with him through the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that is good news. That's a blessing. That's why in Psalm 23, the psalmist writes, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. I think it was Dr. Donald Barnhouse who told a beautiful illustration when his wife died, his children were still quite young, and he was trying to explain it to these young kids. And as they drove home from the funeral home, the story says that a large truck passed by 
their car and briefly cast a big shadow on the car. And he said, you know what, that's it. And he turned to the children and he said, would you rather be run over by a truck or a shadow of a truck? <laughs> Obviously, they said, well, the shadow of the truck. Who would want to be run over by a truck? Shadow doesn't hurt you. He said, exactly. He said, your mother just went through the valley of the shadow of death. There's no pain there either. I mean, what, what a neat illustration. We don't have to be worried about those things. And he goes through a list there, and he, he not only says death, but life. He says, I'm not convinced that neither death nor life. Life has its dangers as well. We face tribulation. We face persecution. And he mentions angels. It's interesting, in the original language, the principalities is the idea, and, and, and it, it refers to not necessarily evil or good angels. So really, when he says principalities there, he's really saying whether they're good or bad angels, fallen or holy angels, doesn't matter. None of them can touch you in Christ. I mean, it's just amazing. He says things present, things to come. Do you ever worry about the future? Do you ever worry about your past? worry about right now. He said, don't worry about it. Can't separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Powers, idea of dunamis, power, uh, and it's in its plural form here, which means many powers, different miracles or mighty deeds, whatever it might be, can't separate you. And then he gives space dimensions, height, depth, he goes through that whole thing. And the idea is he wraps it up and he says, you know what, nor any other created thing. Who's the only being in the world that is uncreated? God. Right? God. God created everything else. But he's eternal. He, didn't, he was never created. So nothing created can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I mean, that's a, a blessing, reminder to us that God wants us to know that, you know what, we can count on him when we're in times of trouble and he wants us to run to him with these things. Secondly, you can count on God when you, when you can count on no one else. You can count on God when you can count on no one else. Look at verse 7 in Psalm 118. It says, The Lord is for me among those who help me. This is interesting because sometimes there's... there's, there's here, it, it, the psalmist kind of addresses the two biggest lies that sometimes we allow ourselves to believe. First of all, we, we believe that God is not for us. God isn't for me. God isn't going to help me. You know, we just get depressed. We get caught up in all the circumstances. Oh, God, where's God, you know? That's just what we think. And then there's other times when we look around and we say, well, nobody around me is going to help me either. There's no one else by my side. And both statements, according to God's word, are untrue. God is for you. God is there. And there's also people in your life that he places sovereignly in your life to help you as well. You're not alone, even though you may think you are and you feel that you are. You may not have the support from everyone, or you may not have the support from the person you want the support to be from. We've all been there. We've all gone through that time. 
But you do have some people in your life, I guarantee it, that are on your side, that care about you, that want to be there for you. And God is working through them. He's working in them to give you the strength to get through the mess that you might have to face, that you might be in right now. There's an important distinction to make here. The people in your life are just people. Do you understand that? They're just people. They're just like you. They're just like me. People have a tendency to make mistakes, to sin, to do things they ought not to do. Most people have as many problems as you have. And so you know what? Reality says some of these people that God sovereignly puts around you, sometimes they're going to fail you because they're just people. They're going to fail to be the fountain of strength that you want them to be in your life. That's just the way it is. Husbands, wives, you need to listen to this. Children, listen. There are times when people let you down. That's just real life. There are times when you call on friends and they don't come through for you. There are times when you ask for help and forget it. You just don't get it. There are times when they don't answer your calls. There's times when maybe people ignore your emails. Because people will let you down. I guarantee it. It's a fact of life. We've all been through it. We all know that. But we need to be reminded of that. That's why in verse 8, David says, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in a man. Even though God has placed these people in your life, he's among those who help you. He's among those who help you. See, there are times when this friend or relative or whatever won't come through with you, but I come through for you. But I want you to understand that that doesn't mean just because they left you hanging, God will leave you hanging. He'll be there for you. He'll always be there. You can count on him when you can't count on anyone else. See, sometimes we tend to look around ourselves and we look at the, the, the sources that we have, the resources that we have, and somehow we begin to believe that, you know what, my boss at work is the source of my money. We begin to believe that. Or my spouse is my source for happiness. Or my spouse is my source for security. Or my friends are my source for entertainment. My church is my source for my spiritual needs, and so forth and so on. Beloved, let me tell you, if you're coming here on a Sunday and you think you're going to get everything you need for the whole week right here in a 50-minute message or whatever it turns out to be, you're dead wrong. If this is all you do when it comes to God's Word, once a week, go to church kind of a thing, you're starving. It'd be like having a meal once a week. You know, some of you are hungry. You're waiting for the fellowship time afterwards. You know, boy, I can't wait to get over there and see what they got this week. Think if that's all you ate all week. You'd be hungry. A lot more hungry than you are now. We need to be in God's Word every day. See, all those things, your boss, your friends, your spouse, they're not your source of power. God is our source. We go right to the source. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in a man. Verse 9 says it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Let me rephrase that. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put your trust in presidents. Hello? A lot of people are going, oh, I don't know what's going to happen when this president... Whether you're for him, whether you're against him, whether he's of your party or not, you know what? God has this mapped out. God has this worked out. God's not up there wringing his hands 
Neither should we be. God's carrying out his sovereign will. And obviously, he's going to do that through President-elect Obama. It's good for us to remember that because we can get caught up in all that stuff. Our hope is not in government. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust what? In the name of the Lord our God. See, you can count on God when you can't count on anyone else. I'm just here to tell you that. And that includes even your wife and your kids. And even Uncle Sam. (laughs) If you want to get focused on God during the middle of a mess, you need to do what David did. You need to call upon him in your distress. You need to put your trust in him. You need to quit looking to others to meet your needs and solve your problems and put a band-aid on your situation. But you need to stop and put your faith in Christ alone. Just like that hymn we sang, in Christ alone. That's it. There's nothing more important than Christ. When you do that, you know what will happen? You'll find that you can count on God. You can count on God for one more thing, third thing. You can count on God to correct you. You can count on God to correct you. We don't like this one very much. The verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 19.3, it says, A man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. See, so many times I run into people who basically they made a mess of their lives through a sordid bunch of things, whether it be alcohol, promiscuity, dishonesty, selfishness, greed, pride, whatever. And when everything falls apart and their life is just, you know, a heap of a mess, then they turn to God and they shake their fist at God and say, why did you allow this to happen to me? See, whatever mess you're going through, at some point, you're going to have to own up to your own role in the situation. You had some, you played some part. It may have even been a minor part. But you played some part. We need to own up to that. If you're a child of God here this morning, if you belong to Him, I want you to understand that He will correct you. He will correct you. That means that if you're on the wrong path, God will help you get back on the right path. Verse 18 says, The Lord has disciplined me severely, but He has not given me over to death. I mean, somebody told me one time that that verse sounds like it makes God a bully. The Lord disciplines me severely, but he's not giving me over to death. I don't see it that way. I see that verse. It makes God sound like a father. It it makes God sound like a father who wants to see his children become good, to become disciplined, to be obedient. See, there's a difference between correction and punishment. There's a difference. Sometimes we cloud that difference. God deals with His children, those who put their faith and trust in Christ and have have become a child of, of the Most High God through Christ. He deals with them at the level of correction. He doesn't deal with them in a punishing way. Because that would be basically all for naught what Christ did on the cross. God does not punish his children. He corrects them. 
The purpose is not to make your, your kids feel pain. Some of you are saying, oh yeah, it is. <laughs> the purpose is to see that they stop doing whatever self-destruction behavior they're doing. Now that may involve a swat on the, on the, on the backside or whatever. But, you know, we need those boundaries, and God gives us those boundaries. He wants to correct us. I've heard time after time after time of even young people, and they've grown up, and they're 18, 19, and, you know, their life is just a mess, just undisciplined, all, all sorts of things. And you ask them how their home life is. Oh, we can do whatever we want. Did you have a curfew? Ah, no curfew. We can hang out in the Rite Aid parking lot till 3 in the morning. My parents don't care. They, they, they let me do whatever I want. See, kids think that's good. And parents sometimes just get tired of fighting against it, and they just let them do whatever. And I've talked to so many kids that after they've grown up, after they've matured a little bit, they look back and they go, Whoa, I wonder what my parents were thinking. I mean, why didn't they care enough just to put down some rules? Because they reap the consequences eventually. It's the same with God. He doesn't punish us. He corrects us. He does whatever he has to do in order to get us back to where we need to be. And he's not up there going, oh, I'm going to inflict pain on you. But he helps us do the right thing. Sometimes we get caught up in things, just crazy things. And God has to steer us back on the right path. And sometimes, unfortunately, it comes to this sometimes. Sometimes pain is the only thing that works. I'd much more reason with a child than just spank the child. But if reason doesn't work, there's got to be some correction. And so sometimes you've got to use a little pain. God does the same thing. Sometimes he allows our circumstances just to play out to the point where we're in major pain and we have nowhere else to go. But I find comfort in knowing that when I make bad choices, when I make sinful choices, God will correct me. He doesn't just say, oh, you blew it, that's it, game over. doesn't say that. He says, you know what? My son died for all your sins, all of them. And God will show you the steps you need in order to get back to where you need to be. So you can count on God because he's for you. He loves you. He likes you. He wants to be you know, the, the, the best that he can be for you. But you've got to give him a chance. You've got to cry out to him in that time of trouble. No matter what mess you're in, no matter what you've made of your life, God wants to take you from that confined, miserable place and set you in a large place where you can take a deep breath of fresh air and go, wow, I can't believe I'm here by the grace of God. You can count on God when you can't count on anyone else. If you're his child here this morning, he loves you very much. He'll protect you. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll correct you. And I just want to end with the simple statement that, you know what? He wants you to be focused on him and him alone. Don't allow all this clutter from the world to be closing in on you. You know, every Sunday almost in a prayer, I pray something to the effect of, God, you know what? Help us just refocus our attention on you and put aside the busyness of this week so that just for a couple of minutes we can just focus on you. Because a lot of, for many of us, this is the only time we get to focus on God, on anything spiritual throughout the whole week. And so it doesn't do any good to be sitting there thinking, oh, how am I going to pay my bills or the doctor? Or what? You know, we need to just put all that aside and say, you know what, God, I'm going to focus on you. And I'm going to trust you to work. 
And then accept the declaration that David made in the verses that we read today, that God is for us. He wants to do whatever he can to help you, not to hurt you. Let's bow in a word of prayer and someone can go get the kids. I appreciate that. And um, Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that in Psalm 118, Lord, it, it truly does get us back to what we need to be focused on, what we need to be centered on. Lord, we ask that you would um, just remind us of your grace in our lives. Lord, we all blow it every day in some way or some fashion, whatever. And Lord, you know that. And uh, God, you don't require us to be perfect in our own in our own lives, Lord. It's, it's only through Christ that we can have that perfection. It's only through Christ that we can have our sins forgiven. Lord, if there's anybody here who's yet to put their faith or trust in God, in Christ, for their salvation, Lord, I pray that they would cry out to you. Lord, maybe they made a life of the, a mess of their life. Maybe they haven't. Maybe they lived a good life. Maybe they feel pretty good about things when they look around. But, Lord, the Bible still says that our hearts are wicked and desperately evil. And we've all sinned. We don't have to argue that point. We're not holy like you are holy. And yet that's what we, what's required for heaven. And so, Lord, we pray that if there's anybody here that they would cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sin. Show me the way I need to go. That's a, that's a prayer that God will answer. Help me to turn from my sin and turn to you and live a life that's full and obedient and pleasing to you. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.